And as we start our brand new sermon series in the book of Colossians, I'm going to bring up our old friend, Travis, to read the sermon passage for us. Thank you. All right, this is God's word. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who's enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Colossians 1, 9-13. Amen. Hey, good morning, church family. It's good to see you. Uh, if you are new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome. And if you're new, you all should, should know that Travis here uh, was one of our founding elders. Helped us get Sound City launched back in 2015. Yeah. He has since moved to the promised land of Bend, Oregon, uh, but was visiting here this weekend for work, and Pete and I got a text from uh, the gal who was scheduled to do our scripture reading this morning. She said, sorry, I got two sick kiddos. I'm not going to be able to make it. And I said, I know just the person to tag in on our scripture reading here. So thanks for being here and serving us, uh, Travis. It's good to see you. And if you haven't gotten a chance to give him a quick hug after the service, make sure you do that. We are starting a new teaching series in the book of Colossians today. And I'm really thankful uh, for the opportunity to get to teach this book of the Bible. Um, You might remember towards the end of last year, I was talking about doing the book of Philippians. We were going to study the book of Philippians. And as the conversations with uh, the leadership, in particular Pastor Jason at Martha Lake Baptist, about the idea of merging together, he said, hey, what if we did a sermon series together? What if we actually like, did a book of the Bible, we did a sermon series where we're doing it together, and then we can uh, have some kind of parallel train tracks to run on just to kind of help continue to facilitate the idea of, of, of oneness between our churches. And so I can go preach over at Martha Lake, and Jason can come preach here, We can just have kind of a a parallel set of train tracks to run on. And and he said, yeah, the only problem is we just did Philippians like a a year or two ago. And I said, well, we kind of talked and brainstormed and prayed real quick. and said, well, what if we switched gears and did Colossians? And the more I've gotten into studying the book of Colossians, the more I am convinced that there's God's providence and his hand in that, that this is a really timely book and really timely word for us. And so I'm really thankful to have the opportunity to go through the book of Colossians. Also, by way of introducing the series, there's another letter that is closely tied to the book of Colossians. It's the letter of Philemon. It's a short, very short book in the New Testament. It's more of a postcard than a full letter. And uh, we're going to include that as part of our series uh, here at Sound City as we're kind of going through. So it'll be nine weeks in the books of Colossians and Philemon. And I always love it so we can say, you know, like next year's trivia question, how many books of the Bible have we done? I get to sneak an extra one in that we covered in one Sunday because Philemon's just that short. One other thing you guys should know is for this series, I'm going to be primarily preaching out of a different translation than we usually do. Uh, we've, uh, since we've launched, we've always used the ESV, the English Standard Version translation. Really good, really solid translation. For the last two years, <clears throat> this is actually kind of my personal reading Bible, not my normal preaching Bible. Um, I've been doing just personal reading and devotion out of the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Um, and it's a really, really good translation. In some ways, um, it's even maybe a little bit more accessible or a little bit easier to read for some. If maybe you would consider yourself not the strongest reader or sometimes uh, feel like when you're reading the Bible, it's a little confusing or hard to understand, I would recommend you check out the CSB translation. It's a really solid translation, and I really like the work that they did, particularly here in the book of Colossians and, and in the letters of Paul uh, in general. So with that said, how about we do this? How about we pray? And then we're going to just jump right in, head first, into the book of Colossians and see what God has for us. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word speaks to us. We thank you that we can encounter you and we can encounter your truth in the pages of scripture. And God, I ask and I pray for each and every single one of us. God, would you give us soft and teachable hearts today? 
that we might hear what it is that you want to say to us, that we might receive truth that would convict us, but also words of encouragement that would build us up as we seek to follow Jesus, to love Jesus, and to love the the body of believers that you've put us in. God, for myself, I pray that you would guard my lips, you'd guard my words, that I would only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word, and that I pray that Jesus would be made much of here in our midst right now. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. Colossians 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. All right. We've got about 10 things to unpack just from these introductory verses. And let's start with this. Who is Paul? Many of you are familiar with Paul. He is, he is um, uh, one who wrote about 25% of the letters in the New Testament, 25% of the material and the content in the New Testament. He is also known as Saul. Saul is his Hebrew name, or Shaul, you'd pronounce it. And he was born in a city called Tarsus. Tarsus is up in Asia Minor. It's what we might today call, what we would today call Turkey, the country of Turkey. So he was not born in Israel, but he relocated, his family relocated to Jerusalem when he was still a boy. And there he was trained by the best rabbis in the school known as Pharisees. Now, for for a couple of things we need to know about this. Number one, uh, Saul did not change his name to Paul just because he met Jesus. He always had dual names. He was a Roman citizen, the book of Acts tells us, but he was also Jewish by ethnicity. But he is the apostle to the Gentiles. He's a traveling missionary, and he's an apostle to the Gentiles. Let me, let me unpack a lot of this. What, what, what this is, is he was trained as a Pharisee, which is a, a Jewish reform movement that was really uh, committed to being faithful to the scriptures. At this time in human history, in this part of the world, a lot of the people who were Jewish did not live in Israel. They'd been scattered all throughout the Greco-Roman world. All these communities of Jewish believers all over, from Egypt to, to Asia Minor, all the way over into Greece and over to Rome. And there's, there's Jewish people everywhere, and many of them were not living according to the law that God gave through Moses. And so these Pharisees would send people, they would travel all around the known world, and they would go and talk to these Jewish people and say, you need to be faithful to the word of God. You need to be faithful to the covenant that God made with our people. They would say things like, you need to circumcise your sons on the eighth day, as the commandment says. You need to eat kosher food, the, the foods that are clean for us as Jews to eat. And they would, they would travel all around and they would do this. Now, because Saul was a Roman citizen, he would spend most of his time traveling around, scholars will say, in the Greco-Roman world, he would go by the name Paul. But he never changed his name. He just had two names. I, when I was in Bible school, I had a, a guy in my class with me. Uh, his name, he's Ukrainian, and his name was Yevgeny. And for a lot of us, kind of, you know, American, we're like, what? Yevgeny. And then partway through the class, he's like, just Eugene. Just call me Eugene. And I always, once I figured out, no, I'm going to call you Yevgeny because that's like your real name. But he had kind of two names in the class. It's kind of like that. Shaul was his Hebrew name and he would have used that when he was in Israel. But Paulos would have been his Greek name that he would use when he would travel throughout the world. He meets Jesus and Jesus sends him right back out to be a missionary, an apostle to the Gentiles. His, His role is to say, I was wrong. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the story of Israel. He is the fulfillment of all of the promises of the scriptures and all the promises of the prophets. And so he went out to the larger Greco-Roman world and told everyone, Jew and Gentile, you really ought to know Jesus. And he is primarily uh, known for these three missionary journeys, and you can read about them in the book of Acts. Towards the end of his last missionary journey, he was imprisoned and sent to Rome, and that is where this letter to the Colossians comes from. It's part of a group of letters known as the prison epistles. Colossians, uh, Philippians, Ephesians, and then the little uh, postcard known as Philemon. 
And he wrote many other letters, but these ones specifically came later in his life, later in his ministry from prison. But did you notice that this book has a co-author? And I, I can't help but feel a little bit bad for Timothy because it says right in the beginning, it says Paul and Timothy together. And as you'll see in a minute, we get into these verses. We always thank God. We pray for you. We, we, we. And we always say, I'm not French, just we, just we. Uh, we always say the letter of Paul. And like, I just got to imagine Timothy like, excuse me, I helped out with this one. Sometimes actually scholars will say with the book of Colossians that the book of Colossians doesn't sound like traditional Paul. And I think the answer of why maybe it's a little bit different in some of its language and verbiage is staring us right in the face because Timothy was heavily involved in this letter. You can actually see if you flip over to the end in chapter four, you can see that Paul grabs the pen from Timothy and says, hey, I'm just signing off with my own handwriting so you can know that I was here. Let's talk about Timothy. Timothy was born in the city of Lystra. Lystra is also in Asia Minor, what we would today call Turkey. And Paul went to Lystra on his first missionary journey. Now, we don't know for certain, but it seems plausible that Timothy became a follower of Jesus under the preaching ministry of Paul when Paul was in Lystra. We see that he is of mixed ethnicity. He has a Greek father and a Jewish mother. He actually is a little bit TMI, sorry about this, but he actually was one of those Jewish people who was himself not circumcised. They were not necessarily following all of the laws that were given to the people of Israel, so much so that when Paul takes him out with him on missionary journeys, he circumcises him as an adult so that it wouldn't be a stumbling block to any of the Jewish communities that they're going to go meet with. Talk about a confirmation, right, there to ministry. But we see that his mother is Jewish, and actually his mother and his grandmother are praised in the letters to Timothy for being faithful to the scriptures and for raising Timothy to know the word of God. And he becomes, uh, if not the most, at least one of the most trusted partners for the apostle Paul. He, is, uh, he accompanies Paul on different missionary journeys, and he's also sent by Paul to places like Ephesus and other places to be uh, Paul's representative. And I'll just say this, Timothy is super, super important to the story of the early Christian church. He is mentioned in four books of the New Testament. He's mentioned in Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and Hebrews. He is the recipient of two letters, like Paul writes him two letters. Any guesses as to what those letters might be? Yeah, First and Second Chronicles. You got it. Nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. No, First and Second Timothy. But he's listed as a co-author in six books of the New Testament. He's listed as six. Second Corinthians, Colossians, Philippians, First and Second Thessalonians, and Philemon. So he is mentioned, receiving, or helping co-author 12 of the 27 books in the New Testament. That's a lot. It's very influential. Timothy is a faithful brother. And so I'm going to do my best as I say this to say Paul and Timothy together. Paul and Timothy are saying things. I'll probably slip up at some point and just say Paul, but I wanted to make sure that we gave Timothy his appropriate due as being heavily involved in the authorship of this letter. Let's talk about Colossa. What is, Col what is a Colossae? What, is, what even is it? Colossae is a, get this, a city in Asia Minor. Everybody's from Asia Minor. Everything's happening in Asia Minor. This is the northward expansion of the gospel, the, the message of Jesus Christ, what we would call modern-day Turkey. And I'll just say this. Colossae is really not that special of a city. Sometimes when we read, like, you know, the book of Ephesus, and you learn some history, like Ephesus, super important major city, super important, you know, center. Colossae is kind of, it's just kind of there. There's, there's Laodicea. Laodicea is about 10 miles away. And it's a big, important central city. And then there's Colossae, which is just kind of, it's just kind of there. The analogy would be that <laughs> Colossae is to Laodicea what Linwood is to Seattle, right? It's like Linwood, like we're here, you know, it's, we've got them all. You know, it's that kind of a thing. Whereas Seattle is the major city, the more important city in the region. Best we can tell, Paul never went to Colossae. Later on, we'll see he talks about how, you know, the people who have never seen him face to face in, in chapter two, and, and it's not listed in any of his missionary journeys as him going there or even really coming very close to Colossae. It's pretty far west. 
So we best we can tell that this church was planted by a man named Epaphras. And we'll see that in, in, in verses 7 and 8 here in just a minute. And then later on in, in chapter 4 as well. He says, you learned the gospel from Epaphras, who's a faithful minister. And, and, and later in chapter 4, we'll see that Epaphras is with Paul. But he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, is still praying for you and cheering you on. And, and so it's, it's uh, important to know that Epaphras was this foundational leader in the Colossian church. And then the last thing is this, this letter of Colossae, as I, Colossians, as I mentioned, is part of a package, a mail bundle, two letters that were sent, the book of Colossians and, the, and the, the personal letter to a man named Philemon, who, man, that's some good stuff to get into there. Please don't miss that week. But the, per, the people who carried the letters are mentioned in, in chapter four, a guy named Tychicus and a former slave known as Onesimus. Onesimus was charged with carrying the letter of Colossians and the letter to Philemon back to his former slave master. Some pretty intense stuff there. The recipients, Paul says, you know, it's Paul and Timothy, to the saints in Christ at Colossae. And I don't know what you think of when you think of the word saints. You could think of the team that got eliminated from the playoffs last week, okay? Sorry, Uh, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, You can think of maybe a very fancy or a special category or a special class of Christians who lived a particularly noteworthy life and then the church comes along and recognizes them as like this extra special Christian. But that's not how the Bible uses the word saints. Do you know how the Bible uses the word saints? Anyone who has been made holy because of Jesus Christ. If you have been forgiven of your sins and you have been made holy by Christ Jesus, you are a saint. Show of hands. How many here today are saints of God? Okay, that's right. We are are called saints. And so he is writing to this group of people in Colossae made holy because of Jesus. And he calls them faithful brothers and sisters. These are faithful Christians. The word in the Greek is adelphoi. And it's a singular word, and it's a, it's a masculine plural word. But you know how some languages uh, can use a masculine to mean both masculine and feminine. It's like in Spanish. Maybe you're a little bit more familiar with Spanish than with Greek. You'd say hermano is, is brother, and hermana is sister. But if you want to say brothers and sisters, you just use hermanos. It's kind of like that in the language. He's, he's writing to this group of men and women. And there's even a woman in chapter 4 mentioned by name who is the one who hosts the church in her home. And he calls them the church. Now, he's not going to use the word church right here in chapter 1, this first section. But he goes on to use the word church later in chapter 1, as well as in chapter 4. The idea of church, it's, it's the gathered ones. It's those who are gathered together. Friends, do you know that this, what we're doing right now, is a profoundly biblical and a profoundly sacred thing that we gather together I'll, 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 at, the, at the risk of overstating my case, there's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't gather with other believers. Now, it can look different. It can be larger groups, smaller groups. It is likely that this church in Colossae is a very small group, small enough to meet in just one person's home. But Christians gather, amen? Christians gather. People who have been loved by Jesus are saved into the family of God and then they gather together for worship, for teaching, for edification, for fellowship, and then we're scattered and sent out on mission to go and share the love of Jesus with the lost and broken world. Now, that's the intro. We'll go quicker from here. Verse three. We, Paul and Timothy, always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Do you think that would be encouraging for the Colossian church to hear that Paul and Timothy are praying for them? For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. A classic Pauline faith, hope, and love. He, he, He encourages the church for having faith. And we're going to get into this a lot more in the upcoming weeks. But one of the reasons why Paul and Timothy wrote this letter to the church in Colossae is they are experiencing pressure. They're experiencing opposition. They're experiencing pressure from false teachers who want to divert them away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul and Timothy here encourage them by saying, we have heard that you're faithful people. You are filled with faith in Jesus. And we want you to continue on that. 
So we'll talk more about that theme in upcoming weeks. And he also encourages them for being people of hope. What, what is their hope grounded in, Sound City? Their hope is grounded in the fact that their citizenship is in heaven. If you were a citizen of the Roman Empire at the time, and a, city of, a citizen of the city of Colossae, you would have reason to be, shall we say, discouraged. I don't know about you. Anybody ever feel uh, in our current political climate a little bit discouraged about being a citizen of the United States of America? I'm not trying to get too political with it, but it's just not fun out there right now, okay? And if your fundamental hope and your fundamental identity is that you are an American citizen, well, you are in for a profound set of disappointments, But as followers of Jesus, our fundamental identity, our fundamental citizenship lies in the kingdom of God and the hope that we have in heaven. Amen? And Paul is going to get into that, and Timothy's going to get into that more in chapter 3. So we'll get into that more in future weeks. But for the remainder of our time today, I want to focus in on that phrase they say there, the love you have for all the saints. The love you have for all the saints. The saints. If you read through the book of Colossians, that would encourage you to, to read through it. It's only four chapters. You can um, listen through it in audio or you can read through it. It won't take you terribly long. But you start to notice just how often this theme of love and beloved, all this, this theme kind of keeps coming up over and again. We just saw this verse, the love you have for all the saints. In a minute in verse 7, he calls Epaphras our beloved fellow servant. And in verse 8, he says that Epaphras told us about your love in the Spirit. In chapter 2, he's talking about the church in Laodicea and the church in Colossae being joined together in love. So churches in two different cities working together, partnering together, but the bond between them is that of love. In chapter 3, he calls the people God's chosen ones, again, holy and beloved. Going on into chapter 4, when you get to the conclusion, he, he talks about Tychicus, the guy who's carrying this letter. He calls him our dearly loved brother. Or Onesimus, a faithful and dearly loved brother. And even in verse 14, a guy named Luke the physician greets you. That's Luke who wrote the book of um, um, Luke, right, yes. And also the book of Acts. But he's not just any physician. He's the beloved physician, and he's greeting. And you see this list. It's like the people love each other. And the leaders love the people, and the leaders love each other, and the members love the leaders, and the church in this city loves the church in that city. It's just like a, you know, it's like a, like a, just a love explosion just going in every direction. So much love. And, and friends, where does that kind of love come from? What would so inspire a group of people to love each other and to love the leaders and for the leaders to love the people and for one local church to love another local church. What could possibly be the motivation for all that kind of love? Friends, we know this. The love of Jesus Christ himself. That kind of love only happens when we remember that Jesus loves his church. We read this in John 13 when Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You love each other just as I have loved you. And this is how all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Friends, the big idea for today is just simply this. Jesus loves his church and you should too. Jesus loves his church and you really ought to as well. Now let me say this because we need to deal with an objection, okay? If you have spent any time at all as a part of a church, you might raise your hand and say, you know, Aaron, I hear what you're saying, but have you ever been around churches? Sometimes it can be hard to love the church. Okay, show of hands, just be honest here. How many of you ever had a moment like that? That can be kind of hard to love the church. Anybody? Anybody ever, anybody ever felt frustrated by the church? Anybody? Think, yeah, wait, why are you raising your hands so high, Travis? Is, is that why you went to Oregon? Gee. Uh, anybody ever? <laughs> okay, all right, good. It's on the record, folks. You heard it here. Anybody here ever, I mean, sincerely, anybody here ever experienced hurts within the church context? Okay, I mean, it's, this is real. I think there's three primary reasons 
why we might be tempted to not love the church as Jesus loves the church. The first one is just a very simple thing, lack of commonality. See, the gospel goes out, the gospel reaches all different types of people, young, old, men, women, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile, and brings us all together, gathered together, like I said a moment ago. And then at some point, you start kind of gathering together and you realize, like, I don't really have very much in common with so-and-so. I don't really have much in common with, with, with this person or with that person. And, and friends, let me say this. There is nothing wrong with wanting to have a sense of commonality and camaraderie with somebody in your life. That's actually a good thing, right? There's nothing wrong. Let's, let's, let's use an example. Um, try to imagine a church that had lots of young moms, okay? Moms with young kids. Just stretch your brain, try to imagine it, Right? And let's say a young, a mom of some young kids says, I would like to get together with some other moms of young kids so that we could have some sleep-deprived fellowship and camaraderie and we could talk about our children and we could bounce ideas off each other. And how did you do potty training? How did you do, did you, you know, like that, there's nothing wrong with that. But if it only stays there, if, if, if a group of young moms say, I only ever want to interact with and, and, and spend time with young moms, well, friends, that becomes sub-gospel. You tracking with me? There's nothing wrong with wanting to have something in common, but if you only spend time with those you have in, with with people you have things in common with, that doesn't live up to the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's one thing to say, well, you know, I'm a I'm a you know Seattle guy, artist, designer, musician, and so I want to have some other artist, designer, musician type of people in my life. That's great. That's well and good. But you know what? You actually could go and serve with your artistic creativity somebody who is, let's, let's just pick on accountants because they're easy, but like they need someone who can bring life and that kind of uh, creative spark into their life and you might need someone who can help you be organized so you know what time to show up for your musician's thing that you're doing, right? We need each other in the body of Christ and if we only pursue relationship based only on common likes and dislikes, then that's sub-gospel, friends. The second reason it can be hard times to love the church is because of the reality of sin and foolishness. It's just a reality. The church is full of people who are being renewed into the image of Christ Jesus. But quick show of hands, how many of you have achieved perfection yet? Not a single one of us. We're all still uh, experiencing growth and progress as God works on us. And then that means that there's the reality of sometimes people can really hurt us. Maybe it's foolishness. Maybe they didn't mean to. Maybe it was an accidental thing. Maybe it really was something sinful. Small scale, other people in the church, you go to a community group and someone in the group says something hurtful and it just, man, it stings. Maybe it's large scale. You, you, you read about some prominent, well-known church leader who does something profoundly sinful or profoundly stupid or profoundly hurtful, and it just has this devastating effect on people. It can be hard to love the church in those moments. And then the third reason is just cultural pressure. How many of you know we live in a culture that in ever-increasing degrees is opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And in particular, there are people who latch on to any opportunity they can to mock and to revile the name of Jesus when Christians do dumb and foolish and sinful things. And in that moment, there can be a type of pressure, a type of cultural pressure, a peer pressure. Ha ha, look at the, oh, they call themselves Christians. Oh, oh, you call yourself a Christian. I know people uh, in my own life who, who get this kind of stuff from their family members. Oh, you call yourself a Christian, you do this or that? In those moments, it can be hard to love the church. And so I, have, I just want to offer a proposed solution. Fewer generalities, more intentional relationship. Let me explain what I mean. Over the years, I have become convinced that the devil loves to work in vague generalities. The devil loves to work in vague generalities. I, I started noticing this early on when I would do like pastoral counseling with people and they would say things like, well, I feel really guilty and I just feel so condemned. And I'm like, well, like what? Is there sin in your life? Well, no, not really. I'm like, I just feel so guilty. I'm like, well, what about? I don't even know. I just feel guilty. I'm like, well, that's not how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit, when, when we've sinned, 
The Holy Spirit, we're told, brings conviction into our lives specifically so that we can repent of that sin, experience the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, and walk forward in in freedom and hope of new life. Amen? That's how the Holy Spirit works. The devil goes, you bad. You know, like that kind of a thing. You're just like, oh, I'm bad. It's like, well, hold on a second. And I hear a similar sort of thing when I hear people saying, well, the church this or that. The church does this or that. The church does, and I've, I've actually done this. Some of you have had these conversations with me. Some of you in this room, I've said, wait, wait, wait. Our church? Our church? No, 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 no. You know, just, you know, like just church does. I'm like, okay, good. Because if it was our church, I'm, I'm calling the elders together. We got to, we got to figure this out. No, I'm just saying like, you know, you know, people say things. I mean, pe- people? Like people in our church? Who? Like tell me their names. Who? Who said that? Because we might need to bring some correction or some, at least some instruction. And they, no, 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 just like people, you know, like I've, like I've, I've read things on, you know, on, I'm like, oh, you mean like some crazy guy on Twitter? Like, what are you talking about? Like, let's be specific. Let's be specific. When, when, when you read this letter of Colossians, there's a lot of specific people mentioned by name. There's the church in Laodicea, the church in Colossae, the church that meets in the house of Nympha. The, there's all these specific people. I, I, want, I know it's not the best lighting in this room right now, but can you just take a minute and look around this room right now? Just look around, see some faces. See some people, okay? Do it. When we say the church, this or that, the church, people, this or that, it's us. It's us. And so I just offer to you this as a suggestion Be careful with your speech. Don't speak in broad generalities that give the enemy an opportunity to come in and bring condemnation and division. Let's be more specific. Jesus loves his church. And that makes Paul and Timothy love this church and makes the people love each other. Friends, let's let's learn to love the church the way that Jesus loves the church. Amen? Let's keep going. Uh, picking up halfway through verse five, you've already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It, the gospel, is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. And you learned this from Epaphras. You learned the gospel from Epaphras. He's the one who taught you the gospel. That's why we think he's the one that founded the church. Our dearly loved fellow servant, he, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. This is such good news. He he says, the whole thing is founded on the message of the gospel. And friends, we know that the gospel is that God is reconciling all things to himself, and he has done so through his son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross for our sins, who rose again, and he offers new life, and he offers forgiveness to any who will repent of their sins, trust in him and forgiveness, and then we're adopted into his family and we're conscripted into his army so that we can go and be about the business of God reconciling all things unto himself. This is good news, friends. But he says that the gospel is fruitful. The gospel is inherently fruitful. If we are connected to Jesus like branches to the vine, we can't help but produce fruit. And when we talk about being fruitful, it's a very interesting concept because on the one hand, it is about doing things. Like fruit. If you, if you had a fruit tree in your yard and I was talking to you about it, I said, man, is, a, is it a good fruit tree? Oh, it's the best fruit tree. It's amazing. It's got really healthy roots. The bark is there. The, the branches, it's just a really beautiful tree. The leaves are healthy. I'm like, well, does it ever grow any pears or apples or whatever? Oh, it hasn't grown anything in 10 years. I'm like, well... Is it really that good of a tree then if it doesn't ever actually produce some results? Jesus talks about fruit this way often about like the parable of the talents. Like I'm I'm entrusting these things to you. I want you to actually do something with it. Go proclaim the gospel. Go serve the needy. Go disciple one another. Go like go do something. But Paul himself is the one also who says that fruit isn't just the results that we produce, but it's the heart with which we do it. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
So we, there's a qualitative element to what it means to be fruitful. Uh, I want to be a fruitful follower of Jesus. And so the best way I've, I can think of to describe it, when you talk about being a fruitful uh, follower of Jesus or us being a fruitful church, I would say this. It's God's desired results with God's heart, motive, and methods. It's both what you do and how you do it. Okay? So, friends, if you are out there, like, I'm just fruitful, I'm doing things, I'm doing things, I'm doing things, I'm always doing things for Jesus, I'm serving, I'm I'm caring for the poor, but you're not kind and gracious and patient, then that falls short of the standard of God's fruitfulness in your life. Can can, Can you hear that? And if you're like, man, I am really growing in love and peace and patience and joy, and man, I'm getting my, my heart all lined up. Like, have you ever told anyone about Jesus? Have you ever served anyone else? Have you ever contributed to the life of the church? Well, no, I'm just really working on love, joy, peace, and patience. Well, you're not actually fruitful according to the biblical definition of fruitfulness. It is both accomplishing things, knowing that God cares not just what is done, but how it's done. Can you hear that, Sound City Bible Church? God wants us to be a faithful, fruitful church. Paul loves the Colossian church because they're fruitful. Jesus wants us to be a fruitful church. He loves us. And part of being connected to that love means that we will be fruitful. Jesus loves it when his church is fruitful. And then number three, uh, Jesus loves it when the church looks like him. Verse nine, here's, here's the prayer that, that Paul is going to conclude this section with. He tells them what, what their content of their prayers are. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, since the day we heard you all came to know Jesus, you're living in the gospel, we haven't stopped praying for you. Hey, by the way, 2019 for us was a year focused on prayer. I'm so thankful for how God uh, really kind of helped turn up the volume on that knob of Sound City Bible Church. It's a weird analogy, but prayer, the prayer knob. And uh, as we head into 2020, let's not take any steps back on that. Amen? Maybe it's not like a primary area of focus like it was in 2019, but, but it's, you know, we haven't stopped praying for you. Let's just keep being people of prayer. Amen? But he says this, here's what we're asking for. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Pause. That is a Pauline classic run-on sentence. Let's break it down for a quick second. First, he prays, he, he wants the people to have wisdom spiritual wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Friends, there's a lot of things that we can have knowledge about. Some of you are really knowledgeable about uh, cars, and I'm thankful that there are people out there who know how to work on cars because I don't know how to work on cars, and I need people who know how to work on cars to work on my car. Uh, And so I'm thankful there's people like that out there. There's people out there who are really knowledgeable about medicine, and praise God for doctors and nurses and medical professionals. And some of you are really knowledgeable about taxes and praise the Lord for you because it's like every year I get this complicated math problem from the government where if I get the answer wrong, I go to jail. So like, like I'm thankful there's people who have all this type of like knowledge and understanding and wisdom. But the most important thing that we can be well-versed in is spiritual understanding, knowledge of the will of God, that he wants us to walk uh, uh, lives that are wise and understanding and all of us can be filled with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Amen? He wants this church, Paul and Timothy want this church to be marked by godly living so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Friends, that we would live godly lives. It is not legalistic to say, hey, don't sin. <laughs> now, legalism can creep in all the time. We, we are profoundly anti-legalism here, Okay? But when someone in your life says, hey, that seems like a sinful attitude, that seems like a sinful action, that's not pleasing to the Lord. If we remember that our lives, we we are not our own, we were bought with a price, then we want to live our lives in a manner that is pleasing to God, amen? And they're praying that they would be fruitful. We already talked about that. And they, they pray that they would be strong. You'd be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Be strengthened with the power that comes from God himself. I want, I want us to be a strong church as well. That we would be strong and that we would, like the Colossian church, we'd be, have great endurance and we'd have great patience. How many of you know it takes a lot of endurance and a lot of patience to be a follower of Jesus? 
I want Jesus to return soon. I would love to not finish preaching this sermon because the sky cracked open and we get to see our Savior face to face. I long for that day. That'd be amazing. But until that day happens, Lord, may we have great endurance and may we have great patience and not just patience for the return of Jesus, but patience for other people in our lives. Friends, I don't know if you know this. There are people in my life who aren't as godly as I wish they were. (sighs) I kind of wish like, God, would you please hurry up and like fix them some more? And then I realize, oh wait, they're thinking the same exact thing about me. We've got to practice patience with each other. We've got to practice patience with ourselves. Have you ever had that thought? God, I thought I would be different by now. I thought I would be better by now. It's a reason why the Bible uses so many agricultural metaphors. Fruit takes a while to grow. And in, we live in a microwave culture, but our God is a farmer. And then he says that you might joyfully give thanks to the Father, joy mixed with thankfulness, that we wouldn't just be sullen people, just patiently enduring and kind of, well, just living godly life. No, it's like an overflowing of, of joy that there would be smiles on our faces and lightness in our steps as we live out this life that God has called us to. And friends, when I, when I look at that list, when I see this, this list of things that Paul and Timothy are praying for the church in Colossae, all that they're praying for is that the church would look like Jesus. This is Jesus. Jesus, the only wise king. Jesus, who lived a perfectly godly life. Jesus, who was fruitful in all that he did and said in his earthly life and ministry. Jesus, who in his strength conquered the forces of evil and liberated us from the slavery of sin. Jesus, who endured all the way to the cross. Jesus, who is patient with us even in our weakness. And Jesus, who had a smile on his face, giving thanks to the Father all the way while they nailed him to the cross. That's our Jesus, friends. Jesus loves it when the church looks like him. It says this, giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves and in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If that's not good news to you today, I don't know what will work because that's pretty amazing news. We've been rescued We've been transferred. We've been redeemed. We've been forgiven all by Jesus. Friends, that's us. That's, remember when I had you look around the room? That's us. Look at these people. Some of these people might do things that will hurt you. I, I can't promise that you're going to live a pain-free life or a frustration-free life in the Christian church. But when we remember that that person who hurt me is also forgiven, redeemed, transferred, <laughs> rescued, we might be able to have a little bit more grace and love that comes directly from Jesus Christ himself. Let me close with a couple of quick thoughts here. You know, this, 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 there's no such thing as a perfect church. Amen? I'm, I'm going to need a louder amen from you guys on that. There's no such thing as a perfect church. And if you think you have found a perfect church, please turn around and leave because you will ruin it by going there, okay? There's no such thing as a perfect church. There's no such thing as a church that perfectly looks like Jesus. But I will say this, friends. I am so thankful for you, Sound City, because I think by God's grace, we are a healthy and a growing church. We're growing in Christ-likeness. And as we head into 2020 with, with changes ahead for us and, and, and different things coming down, the, coming down the, you know, the pipeline for us, change often brings opportunities to bump heads with other people. And in those moments... My encouragement is for you to go before the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, would you remind me of just how deeply you love your church? I want to love the others in my life, the other people that I'm connected to, other local churches in our area. I want to love the church with the love that you have shown us. And let me give you four practical suggestions that will help fan the flames of love for the church. Number one, pray by name for others in our church. By name. I know that there are those of you who pray for Sound City Bible Church. I'm thankful for that. Start thinking about individuals in your life. Pray by name for others. One of the things we've done as a family for a few years is we take all the, the Christmas cards that we're given and then we, we put them in a stack and whenever we sit down together as a family for dinner, we just grab one of the cards off the stack and pray for that family. I think we prayed for the Hackett's. We prayed for the Hongs. 
prayed for the Hyatts this week. Basically, everyone whose last name starts with H. That was an accident. (laughs) Just pray by name for others in the church. Number two, pray by name for other churches. We are a church that values being kingdom-minded. Pray by name for Martha Lake Baptist Church. If you think of it, pray by name for Resurrection Church down in Tacoma. And as of this morning, Resurrection Church that is having their first new worship gathering in Federal Way. My, my friend Dimitri, who's been here to preach a couple times. You guys remember Dimitri? I texted him this morning. We prayed for him. They're launching a brand new church. Oh, by the way, uh, some of you know Steve Garby, who's a member of our church here for a long time, has moved down there and is a part of that brand new church plant. So pray for Resurrection. Pray by name for other churches that you might be connected with, the church that you grew up in, wherever, whatever the Lord brings to mind. Here's a good suggestion. Have a meal with someone new. Travis, it's great that you're here for this because this is literally right out of the Travis Tuttle playbook. Being from Texas, he showed up. He's like, what is wrong with people in Seattle? They don't have meals together. He never knew a Sunday afternoon where he didn't have a meal with somebody. And he's like, what is happening here? And it's like in Seattle, you walk up and you're like, hey, would you like to like get lunch together? And people look at you like you're an alien, Okay. It's fine. We're all strangers and aliens in this world. Ah, like that Bible juke? Okay. And then last one. This one's a really, maybe a more challenging one. Take some prayer, take some discernment and wisdom. But ask a non-Christian to coffee or lunch and just ask them about their impressions of the church. And maybe drill down. Maybe they have a negative opinion of the church because of things they see in the news or read on social media. Maybe they have a negative opinion of the church because of actual legitimate hurts that they've experienced in their lives. And you might actually have an opportunity to be an agent of God's grace and an agent of God's love in their life. To be able to say, I'm sorry that happened. That's not what Jesus wants his church to look like. Can I show you in the Bible what Jesus wants his church to look like? Can I show you in the book of Colossians a picture of a church that really does love each other well? And, And can I just maybe even pray for you that you might be able to find the love of Jesus even though sometimes his people have been less than perfect? I don't know. That one takes, that's a bigger, that's a bigger ask. As we're in this season now of, of turning the corner into 2020 and, and all the potential changes ahead of us, I'm just grateful for this idea that Jesus really loves his church. And these last five years for us as a church community has proven Jesus' faithfulness to us. Amen? And so let's thank him for his love for us and let's seek to embody that love for others in our church, for other churches in our area, and for those who don't yet know Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you now as we, as we turn our hearts now to celebrate the Lord's table and as Pastor Doug comes to lead us in that, Lord God, would we just uh, give you thanks and give you praise for the fact that you have deeply loved us, this local church. God, thank you that a man named Paul and a a man named Timothy were faithful. You'll travel around the world and share the gospel. And now some 2,000 years later, we are beneficiaries of that. We're recipients of the message of the gospel to far-flung remote regions of the earth, like Linwood, Washington. God, I ask and I pray as we eat and as we drink now, that we would experience fellowship with you and fellowship with one another and even a sense of fellowship with other believers around the world who know you, love you, and worship you. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. Love you. (laughs) For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. As we know, and as Pastor Aaron shared, people in the church are not easy to love. I'm certainly not easy to love. Just ask my wife. And we talked a lot about why we should love the church, so this might be duplicitous, but because Jesus loves the church, they are his, his people. We, we, as believers in Christ, are his brothers and sisters. And it's a loving relationship of brother and sister, maybe not like the ones we, some of us know on earth. But you all are Jesus' brothers and sisters. We need to treat you with love and kindness. Why should we love the church? Because God came into creation and dwelt among man as a man in the person of Jesus Christ. That's how much he loves us. When I find myself unloving toward people in the church, 
I try to remember how much they are loved by God. That they are loved by God just as much as God loves me. I also try to remember the price that was paid by Jesus on the cross to save us. So now we're going to go ahead into communion and we're going to remember our Savior. As we go to communion, take out and open the elements while I read from 1 Corinthians. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes for us, his church. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So before we take the bread and the juice, follow Paul's instructions and take a a moment now. Let's come before the Father in prayer and reflection, confessing our sin, maybe for the times we have not loved his church, his people well. Remembering our Savior and his work on the cross for each one of us, with a thankful heart. Father, we come into your presence only by the blood and in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, direct our thoughts, our words, and our prayers now for our good and for your glory. Amen.